Hey guys, welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell today. That's another mailbag show. You guys had so many good questions that I wanted to hit more of them here on the show this week. But first, wanted to tell you about another podcast, which is done by the excellent Brian Windhorst and his pals in the Hoop Collective. Brian Windhorst and the Hoop Collective is a podcast where Brian Windhorst and a team of ESPN insiders sort out life in and around the NBA world. It's now airing three times a week and also available on YouTube. So listen on YouTube or listen wherever you are listening to The Bill Barnwell Show, which starts right now. All right, let's hit more of your mailbag questions. We hit Daniel Jones, Justin Fields, and a lot of the Bears and Giants questions from last week. Today, different sorts of questions, still plenty to get to here on the show. So we'll start with another quarterback question from Ryan Waddell who asks, regarding your predictions about the effects of rookie contract quarterbacks and roster constructions, once some of those quarterbacks get paid, do you believe that the upper tier of well-paid quarterbacks is or is about to be larger than it should be? This is tough. I mean, there's a lot of times where teams are handing out these these contracts to quarterbacks And I don't think a lot of people are questioning them at the time, and they do not work out. And I think the Carson Wentz deal comes to mind. I think the Jared Goff contract comes to mind, which granted Jared Goff's contract looks better after he had a much better season with the Lions. But the Rams had to basically use the Jared Goff contract and trade a first round pick to get rid of it for the Lions to take it as a salary dump. Carson Wentz's contract has been handed out multiple times around the league somehow for meaningful draft capital and is about to end this season. So it's not ideal when you hate, when you get one of these guys, they're good on their rookie deals. You believe they're going to be superstars or you believe they are superstars and they don't pan out. But I'm also sitting here looking at the guys who are getting these contracts and I don't think I have any real qualms about these contracts getting done. And just Justin Herbert, I think, is a superstar caliber quarterback. I don't think he's necessarily played that way, although hopefully, of course, getting Joe Lombardi out of there and replacing him with Kellen Moore should help. Jalen Hurts, I mean, just had a monster season, has improved dramatically, led his team to the Super Bowl. Joe Burrow, I mean, no question about paying Joe Burrow. Those guys, I have no qualms about paying those guys money. To a Tango Vailoa, of course, the injuries um, the concussion, the various other injuries he has have been serious concerns. I don't think he gets paid this offseason, so I don't know. I have reservations about Daniel Jones and Geno Smith, who look like second-tier options to me. But I think the question you want to ask for these players, the, the, the quarterbacks who are out here, is do they have surplus value at $50 million a year? Because that's the going rate for, for top-tier quarterbacks in the NFL right now. And... I think if Joe Burrow went on the open market, he'd get paid more than $50 million a year. If Justin Herbert and Jalen Hurst were on the market, same thing. Patrick Mahomes would get $100 million a year on the open market if he were an unrestricted free agent. So I think the guys who are in that, those tiers, to, to refer to the, the concept from our old friend Mike Sando at The Athletic, um, no, no real qualms about paying those guys. Now, the Matthew Staffords of the world, the Kirk Cousinses of the world, the Russell Wilsons of the world, different story for different reasons. Wendy asks, 
what is the destination or outcome you're rooting for in the Lamar Jackson situation? It's tough. I feel bad. I I like Lamar Jackson on the Ravens. I like what the Ravens have done around him outside of the receiver issues this year after trading Hollywood Brown. I think I want to see Lamar Jackson in a scheme where he's allowed to pass more often. I I look at what Lamar Jackson did in college in a pro-style offense at Louisville and think he's capable of doing more as a pocket passer. I like to think that Todd Monken, who I think is a very good OC, can mold some combination of what he does uh, as a runner with passing concepts that work. You know, I think Greg Roman's offense was very good for Lamar Jackson as a runner. I don't really understand why they didn't have more in terms of a range of passing concepts off of those run concepts. I think it's not impossible to imagine making that work. So I want to see Lamar Jackson with the Ravens and I want to see him succeed, but I don't think it's happening. <laughs> like, if if it hasn't happened by now, what's going to change? The price tag is only going up. Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, and Jalen Hurts are all getting paid this offseason, and it's all going to be over 50. And if you're Lamar Jackson, I don't see why the price would go down. This team has struggled mightily without you. They missed out on the playoffs in 2021 when Lamar Jackson got hurt and limped into the playoffs in 2022 and then lost in the first round when Lamar Jackson was not available. So I think the price tag from Lamar's perspective was only going up. And I don't know why the Ravens, if they don't want to do a deal now, would suddenly want to do a deal at the end of the of the summer or when the franchise tag deadline comes up or next year, at which point Lamar Jackson is going to be so close to free agency that the Ravens are going to be stuck. So I think I wouldn't be shocked if a trade happened this offseason. I think if you're the Ravens, that's what makes the most sense. And to answer the question about what's the tradition I'm rooting for, maybe the Falcons? I'm just thinking about a team that's going to use Lamar as a runner and also have passing concepts that work. I like the idea of a play-action-heavy shot offense with Arthur Smith. Good offensive line, running game that worked with Marcus Mariota. Uh, two exciting young receivers. They haven't always been exciting at the same time in, in Drake London and Cal Pitts. Good rushing attack. Tyler Algier was really good last season. That could be a fun team. And certainly, you know, the the Falcons have the draft capital to get a deal done. They could send the eighth pick over. Um, they have the eighth pick, right? I'm not crazy. The eighth overall selection, yes, they do. So they trade the eight, maybe another first-round pick, or maybe a two. Maybe that's what gets the deal done for Lamar Jackson. So I'll be intrigued to see if it happens. I will write about it. I'm sure if it happens, I would not be surprised if it happens this offseason for two first-round picks. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wizard of Loneliness, sorry, asks, why do coaches never leave teams in free agency? I saw the bidding war for Sean Payton when they had to trade assets for him. Can't imagine how much Andy Reid would make if he was on the open market. I would say think about where coaches come from. Most coaches, there's exceptions, Deion Sanders maybe, most coaches come through a cycle where they're making nothing and they are totally subject to the whims of all kinds of owners and coaches, they're scapegoats, they're they're working for no money, they're working for limited amounts of money, they're driving people around, they're recruiting in college, they're, they're GAs, they're assistants, they're quality control guys, their families are stuck moving around, they're making no money, they're working incredibly hard. If you get through all of that and you become a head coach, somewhere and you're making millions of dollars at the NFL level, stability and success is nice. Like you have, if you're a a coach like an Andy Reid who has what he wants in Kansas City, you have the personnel you want. You've built the roster and the organization to what you want it to be. It's a lot of work to go do that somewhere else. Not impossible. And the money matters. You want to feel wanted, but it's not like that's a plug and play where you can take 10 of your assistants to go go coach somewhere else overnight. It just doesn't work that way. So I, I'm not surprised that more coaches don't want to let their contracts run out to the final year and then go to free agency and uproot and rebuild somewhere else. I, I think if you're a head coach, and this is like assistants, coordinators may be different, but if you're a head coach, I think once you get that job somewhere, knowing how they've had to live their lives for so long, I think they're going to stay there until they are forced out or they get sick of it and want to retire. Jacob M. asks about the Patriots. He says, which potentially available number one pass catching option would be the best fit for the Patriots factoring in acquisition cost? He mentions DeAndre Hopkins, Mike Evans, Jerry Judy, Brandon Cooks, T. Higgins, and Keenan Allen are some possibilities I thought of. I went in a different direction. I read about this in my column about the moves each NFC team NFC team should consider this offseason last week. And that was the Buccaneers and Chris Godwin. Because I think if they're going to let Jacoby Myers leave, they're going to have a hole in the slot. I assume Kendrick Bourne is getting cut as well. Chris Godwin would fit perfectly there. Bill Belichick has valued slot receivers over the course of his career. Bill O'Brien, the new OC, recruited Chris Godwin at Penn State, although he left for the Texans job before Chris Godwin actually played there. The Bucks need the cap space. They'll make more savings trading Godwin than they will trading Mike Evans. And I know he wasn't the best coming off the ACL tear last year, but he's still only 27 years old, just turned 27. So I do feel like Chris Godwin's still in the prime of his career. Would I trade the 14th pick for Chris Godwin? I don't know. I don't know that I would do that. But 14 for Godwin and maybe 
the Bucks throw in a pick. Maybe they throw in 50. Maybe they the, the pitchers get like a you know, one in the three and they get Godwin in at two or something like that. Um, I think that makes sense to me as a sort of a natural fit in terms of the, the number one receiver and a possible team. So I wouldn't be surprised if they drafted a wide receiver at 14. I guess they could use another one of those picks on a defensive lineman. Certainly could go for a tackle maybe with uh, Isaiah Wynn leaving this offseason. But I do think they could use a number one wide receiver. That has been a problem for them for a long time now. Bill Dinger says the Jets went from the worst defense by DVOA in 2021 to the fifth defense by DVOA in 2022, and that largely kept them in the playoff race. That is an understatement, Bill, uh, in terms of what how that impacted the Jets because the offense was not holding up their end of the bargain last year. Looking at the worst defenses this year by DVOA, who do you think has the best chance to make a similar turnaround? And well, let's think about the Jets. They had a very high pick and used it on a defensive star in Sauce Gardner. And they had a defensive-minded head coach in his second season in Robert Sala. That Look at the, those criteria. Think about who might have a defensive head coach and who might be taking a, a, a defensive player very high in this draft. Chicago Bears come to mind because I think they're going to trade the first overall pick. I think they're going to trade down to four with the Colts which would still put them in position to add one of the best defensive linemen in this year's draft, which is going to play a huge role for them uh, after trading away some pieces last year. They were last in DVOA. They were bad on defense, no question there. Matty Rufloos is in his second season as the head coach. He's, you know, built, tried to build a culture in year one with a losing team. Likely to trade that likely to trade the number one pick, like I said, for a defensive player. The only difference is that the Jets had no takeaways in 2021 they were 31st in takeaways and that was a pretty obvious sign they were going to regress towards the mean doesn't mean they were going to be the fifth best team in football but usually teams that force so few turnovers improve the following year not the case for the bears they were about league average when it came to forcing takeaways but i still think if i have to pick a team that's going to be similar to the jets maybe not top five maybe a top 10 defense next year if things break right i think i would go with the bears Lame Wad, don't be Lame Wad. Lame Wad asks, what can the Falcons do best with the large amount of cap space they have right now? Lame Wad, I would say they don't have to rush into anything because cap space rolls over. So you don't have to go out and spend every last dime you have because it doesn't work that way. But I think you have to ask the question about how they approach quarterback. I mentioned the possibility of trading for Lamar Jackson, which if they do that, Lamar Jackson's going to want a lot of money, reportedly wants a fully guaranteed contract. So that would take up uh, about $47, $48 million of cash base right there, depending on how the Falcons want to structure that deal. I would look at other options. They could resign Caleb McGarry, who was excellent for them at right tackle this year. Very surprising move. Um, very surprising to see him play well after really struggling earlier in his career. But I look at what they might do with the pass rush, which has been a problem for, oh, 15, 16, 17 years now for the Falcons, it feels like. Um, they had the Vic Beasley era. It was great for a year. It did not go well otherwise. I think if they're going to spend money somewhere, that that front four around Grady Jarrett seems like an obvious place to start. Yannick Ngakwe is a free agent. Devian Clowney is a free agent. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of other guys who are 
coming loose this offseason, Marcus Davenport, who um, plays for the rival Saints, where there are some people in that front office who used to work for the Saints, is a free agent. Um, they're not going to resign Dante Fowler, I would assume, after what happened. His first time around Atlanta, Zach Allen, who was excellent for the Cardinals this year, is a free agent. So to me, I think if they're going to spend a lot of money somewhere, I would assume the pass rush would be the place they would start. John Leibowitz asks about Howie Roseman. He says, how much draft capital would you give up for Howie Roseman if you could trade for him? This is going to sound like a burn on Howie Roseman, but I don't think it is, and I think he would give you the same answer. It's not much, and it's not because I don't think Howie Roseman is a good GM because he is, but this is the same guy every Eagles fan wanted to fire two or three years ago when the Eagles had that terrible season. And they may say, oh, no, I, I thought differently. Trust me. I I was there. Howie Roseman was persona non grata in Philadelphia. The, the, the Super Bowl they'd won seemed like a fluke. What happened since has been pretty much flawless, and Howie Roseman deserves a ton of credit for that. But he's not as good now. As he's not as good as he looks right now. He's not as good as he looked after that Super Bowl season. And he's not as bad as he looked during that year where they were tanking in week 18 or week 17, starting Nate Sudfeld or playing Nate Sudfeld. They didn't start him, but put him into the game against the Commanders. He's somewhere in the middle. There's nothing wrong with that. He's very good at the stuff that you can control about being a GM, but you can also emulate that stuff. Howie Rosen builds through the offensive and defensive lines. He takes advantage of adding draft capital when he gets the opportunity. He trades for young core players like an A.J. Brown, like a C.J. Gardner-Johnson, when the opportunity arises. He's very aggressive about trading. He buys low on valuable players. He saves money for those summer free agents like James Bradbury when he gets the chance. As a talent evaluator, I think Howie is fine. They missed two. They took Jalen Rieger ahead of Justin Jefferson. They've made mistakes. I think they would tell you they've made mistakes. But I think the strengths of Howie Roseman are things you can emulate. And then the talent evaluation is an, a totally separate part of it. So I, I think you could probably create a Howie Roseman or hire someone to be your Howie Roseman without having to trade draft capital for it and get a pretty good facsimile if you let him do what he wants to do. And I think Howie Roseman would agree with that. So I, you know, I think he's good, but I think... What he does well is stuff you can emulate with your own people if you're willing to give them the opportunity to do that stuff. Sam McBride asks about the Chiefs, another team that did very well building their roster under Brett Feach, and says, should the Chiefs trade Chris Jones, given how they had to change their identity to win Super Bowl number 2 Isn't the takeaway that they should use the picks and the cap space to build the next version of this team rather than giving Chris Jones a huge deal into his 30s to keep this core together. And I've seen a lot of questions like this, and I think people are taking the wrong lesson away from the Chiefs. It's not, oh, trade away all your stars, you're going to be fine. I think that you have to be selective about how you're going to build when you have a quarterback making a lot of money like Patrick Mahomes. And I think Tyreek Hill was a very specific situation where a few factors came together. It was a player who wanted a significant raise at wide receiver, one whose skill set built around speed is not likely to age well. 
looked fine this year, but and I think he's been healthy. So I, I, I can understand why he would not think that way. I still think there's concerns that maybe as he hits his 30s, that will become a problem. He's a player at a position where the Chiefs had a Hall of Famer at receiver. Now, granted, tight end as opposed to wide receiver, but wasn't like they were replacing Tyreek Hill with nobody. And it was a player where I think the Chiefs felt like Patrick Mahomes might be better if he could spread the ball around as opposed to focusing on one or two players in that receiving attack. And I think that was based partly on what happened in the AFC Championship game against the Bengals last year, or two years ago now. I keep forgetting it's 2023. And the game they lost. Now, can you consider that for other spots on the roster? I mean, the Chiefs did let Tyron Matthew go, replaced him with Justin Reed. That worked out fine. But I think that was more of a, uh, you know, thinking about a player who's maybe past his best, which the league seemed to agree with, as opposed to Tyreek Hill, or it was, you know, trading a player, you know, at the prime, and still in the prime of his career, but maybe exiting in the next year or two. Um, could you do that at defensive tackle? Sure. I mean, Chris Jones is a very good player, but this was definitely, I think, his best season as a pro this past year. So if he's going to try to get a contract off that that last season, I don't think you can count on him being that player year after year. But the difference is when you trade Tyreek Hill, you still have Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, and there's no Mahomes on the defense to make everything else work. So if you're the Browns, and they don't have a player like this. Let's say they wanted to trade Denzel Ward because they said, okay, we have Miles Garrett. And Miles Garrett's going to make our pass rush so good that we don't have to spend as much at cornerback. And that would be a different story. But the Chiefs don't have that that piece next to Chris Jones that would make me think, okay, if they trade Chris Jones, they're going to be just fine rushing the passer. I think George Karloftis might turn into that player. Frank Clark is going to get cut this offseason, I assume. So, you know, if they had a, a TJ Watt, that's a different story, but they don't. Brian Metcalf asks, how would you tweak the NFL calendar to make it more of a year-round sport? Or is the NFL calendar fine and dandy? Brian, I will tell you, there's like four weeks a year where I can leave the country, not have to worry about missing serious football stuff. So I don't want the calendar to be extended any further, if I'm being entirely honest with you. But here's what I'll do, just for the purposes of this question. If I had to make one change to the NFL calendar... I would like to see the league move to a 19-week, 17-game regular season. The obvious benefit there, you get two buys during the regular season to help keep players healthier. You also get an extra week of football to sell to television for more money without having to add another game in the process. There's fewer games to work with, so it's a little less money each week. But I do think that you'll get more by having an extra Sunday of meaningful football to work with. Now, if you want to take a preseason week out or you want to take the week off between the conference championship games and the travel to the Super Bowl and get rid of that to add this 19th week, pick whichever one you want. But I do think having an extra week off for players during the regular season would go a long way to keeping them healthier and improving the quality of play as the season goes along. Joe Mastrangelo asks about the Cowboys. He says, NFL draft, NFL draft prognosticators, tough for me to say, seem to like Bijan Robinson to the Cowboys. Will the Cowboys draft smart, or will GM Jerry succumb to the splashy pick? And I, I'm critical of a lot of things the Cowboys do. They're very easy to poke fun at. They have very obvious long-term issues with Jerry Jones that pop up. 
I would not say one of them is that they're bad drafters. The Cowboys are very good at drafting homegrown talent. I, I would say one of the best teams in football over the past 25 years, even after the Jimmy Donson era where they just had more picks than everybody else. I mean, they have multiple, I, think, I believe multiple Hall of Famers drafted after the first round. Certainly multiple Hall of Famers, including the first round. I mean, they have Tyron Smith, they have Zach Martin, they have Jason Witten. I don't think Rim was getting in. I don't think Zeke is getting in. But I mean, they have, Trayvon Dix is not a Hall of Famer at this point of his career, but just had an incredible season a year ago is certainly one of the better cornerbacks in football and was drafted after the first round. Um, you got the idea. They are they are they can draft meaningful players after the first round and do a good job of drafting players in the first round. So I don't think I'm concerned about that. And I also think about what happened years ago when Jerry Jones reportedly wanted to draft Johnny Manziel. Remember that Stephen Jones pushed him towards Zach Martin and they took Zach Martin instead of Johnny Manziel. Obviously, that move worked out just fine for the Cowboys in the long run. So I'm fond of bringing up with the Cowboys to the quarterback, and it did, I mean, it's true. The Cowboys wanted to draft Paxton Lynch. They heard about the draft Paxton Lynch to, to be the long-term successor to Tony Romo. The Broncos beat them to the punch. Terry Jones was furious. Uh, they... And then I think it was the third round, they wanted to draft Connor Cook. And the Raiders took Connor Cook one pick before the Cowboys were about to. Again, furious. We missed out on our guy. They just had to settle for Dak Prescott later in the draft. And what do you know? Dak Prescott's a franchise quarterback. So um, very different path for the Cowboys if they were they got what they wanted that year. Bijan Robinson, I mean... He's such a good player. I know the the getting the UT guy to stay in the state. It's always fun. I like when that happens. I'm a, I'm a sucker for that stuff. I, I I understand that I am one of the people who are very skeptical of running back value. I don't believe that all running backs are the same. I, I think the Chiefs the perfect example of that. Where it's it's you know Isaiah Pacheco being a better running back than Clyde Edwards-Helaire. The only problem is. That argument's usually used to prop up first-round running backs. And Isaiah Pacheco was a late-round pick, and Clyde Edwards-Alaire was a first-round pick, and Pacheco was a much better player than CEH. I don't think we're very good at drafting running backs um, relative to the opportunities they get. But you can still take a running back late in the first round. There's, they can still get surplus value for that running back. If you get B.J. Robinson and he's making... $4 million a year, and he's a top 10 running back, that's still a decent pick. It doesn't have the upside of a pick at a more significant position, so you just have to be more confident in that selection. I'm going to write about this later in the year, because I think there's a lot to talk about here with Bichon Robinson and the sort of how the how your confidence level needs to change when you pick players at different positions. But if the Cowboys take Bijan Robinson, I'm not going to be mad. It's not going to be the end of the world. It'll be okay, I promise. They're picking 26th. If Bijan Robinson turns out to be a Pro Bowl caliber running back at 26, the Cowboys will have made a good selection. Could they have found another running back in the second or third round who's just as good? Maybe, but that happens in other positions too. So um, I know I'm, I'm one of the people who are very aggressive in pointing out that running back contracts don't work. You still have to have one. And if the choice is Zeke at whatever Zeke makes, if it's Tony Pollard 
or whatever Tony Pollard makes, or if it's Bijan Robinson at at twenty seven, the twenty six. Even given the opportunity cost of passing up another player of that position, I still think you can make Bijan Robinson work if you are the Cowboys. So, if he's there, I'm not horrified at the idea of the Cowboys taking him. Let's finish up here with a meaty question from Skywise, who asks, what would you do between Brock Purdy and Trey Lance this offseason if you were running the 49ers front office? Oof. I, that's a, a tough one. I mean, we don't know how healthy either guy is. Trey Lance missed pretty much the entire season with a fractured fibula, which did not seem to get better as the year went along. I think he had another surgery on it during the year, if I'm not mistaken. Brock Purdy has a UCL injury where, as I'm recording this, he was just told, you're not ready for surgery on your elbow yet. You still need more time before we can get actually do this surgery. So I know the expectation is they're both going to be healthy for training camp, I think Lance is going to be. I'm pretty confident Lance is going to be. I have no idea if Brock Purdy will be healthy enough for training camp. And if you're the Niners, we saw this with Garoppolo last year, you can't do anything until you actually know what you have at quarterback. It changes how you approach the offseason. The Niners said they had an offer for Jimmy Garoppolo last spring, but they couldn't pull the trigger on it because Garoppolo was undergoing surgery. And By the time he came back, that offer was no longer on the table. It worked out well for them in the long run by accident, but that was not the plan. I mean, it just happened to work out that way because Garoppolo wasn't healthy when teams had roster spots to trade for. So if you're the Niners and you get a great offer for Trey Lance in April, I don't think you can take it because Brock Purdy is not going to be, you're not going to know if you have Brock Purdy for September. And you're probably not going to have Jimmy Garoppolo waiting around. I, I, want, I would say definitely, but I'm saying probably because I thought there was a 0% chance he was going to be on the roster last year and it happened. So I'm not going to, I don't want to be an, an idiot again. Um, maybe you get, and Tom Brady's retired. I don't think it's Tom Brady. Maybe you get somebody else. Maybe you get Matt Ryan to be your number three and your quasi coach. And he's your backup plan if Trey Lance is not good. But I, like you have to be very confident you're going to have Brock Purdy or have another plan to trade Trey Lance before the draft. And remember, Trey Lance was not exactly blowing people away before his injury. I'm, I'm not faulting him for what he did in that horrible rainstorm against the Bears in week one, but all the reports out of San Francisco were not optimistic about Trey Lance last offseason, the the vast majority. It wasn't like it was, you know, Trey Lance is blowing away everyone in camp. He's going to be a superstar. It's the next Mahomes, which I think was the optimistic read on what was going to happen in year two in this offense. He, they talked about him like a guy who had, did not have much football experience, which he does not. He's, he's barely played over the past several seasons. He's going to need reps to prove whether he can do anything. And I don't know that the Niners would get a significant offer for Trey Lance from another team. Maybe, you know, Tennessee might need a quarterback if they're going to cut Ryan Tannehill. Maybe um, Rand Carthon, who was there, offers the Niners the 11th pick. 
Maybe that happens. Maybe. I don't even think that happens. So are you going to trade Trey Lance for a two or a three when you might need him to start week one? Of course not. Of course you're not going to do that. But at the same time, this is a guy in Trey Lance who Kyle Shanahan traded three first-round picks to acquire. I've written about how the Niners want their playmakers to be playing positionless football. They want guys who can do everything. They want running backs who can catch. They want tight ends who can catch and run with the football. They want wide receivers who can run with the football. They want to have five players in that offense who can line up anywhere and do anything, who can make you wrong no matter how you line up defensively. And that's Nate Tyson's fun of referring to their death lineup, the McCaffrey, Juszczyk, Ayuk, Debo, Kittle lineup. They can do that. But the sixth player in the offense who can touch the football during their run last year was not a guy who was positionless, not a guy who could do everything. Brock Purdy was a guy very similarly to Jimmy Garoppolo who was going to hit smart throws, keep the offense going, get the ball in his playmaker's hands, but he was never going to run the ball for big gains. He scrambled here and there, but the Niners added Trey Lance because he's the ultimate example of that. He is the guy who can do anything with the football in his hands. He was a very impressive runner. He was a great scrambler. Um, He was a guy who can throw the ball anywhere. He was someone who could do the Mahomes stuff that, or the Jalen Hurts stuff now, I should say, by a better comparison, that Kyle Shanahan has not had in his quarterback since Robert Griffin. And the offense they were running before Lance got hurt was a lot of quarterback run stuff. It was, you know, bash. It was power. It was counter. It was, you know, stuff that teams run with uh, with quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson, quarterbacks like Justin Fields. Um, it was going to be an offense where teams were going to have to account for the threat of Trey Lance in the running game. And that's something that Brock Purdy is not going to offer. They're not going to run those concepts with Brock Purdy. And that, there's nothing wrong with that. It's fine, but it's a different kind of offense. And I think that Kyle Shanahan, in trading three first-round picks for Trey Lance, indicated that's the kind of offense he wants to run, whether it's to create running plays with the quarterback, whether it's to open up opportunities for his halfbacks in the running game, whether it's to hit big shots downfield. All of those things are things Trey Lance offers that Jimmy Garoppolo did not and that Brock Purdy may or may not, depending on how he plays and how he does coming back from a serious elbow injury. So... Having said all that, I don't think the Niners have a choice. I think both these guys are back after the offseason. What do I think will happen? If I'm being honest, I think Trey Lance will start week one and Brock Purdy will be back in by the end of the year. But several options might be on the table depending on how healthy each of those quarterbacks are throughout the offseason. All right. So a lot of mailbag questions. You guys came through in spades. I could have done a half dozen more, but I really appreciate you guys coming through with mailbag questions. A lot to talk about here. A lot of questions to hit in advance of the offseason. Hope you guys enjoyed this. Back with an actual guest next week. I'll be heading to the combine. So going to see plenty of folks there. 
capture the chatter of what's happening at the combine maybe get a guest or two from there but hope you guys enjoyed these mailbag episodes and more audio coming next week here on the bill barnwell show